Hi, I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Today, we're continuing our series on cultivating incorruptible beauty. So if you didn't catch our last episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to that as you have time. We laid the foundation for heaven's definition, God's definition of true feminine beauty, and we're going to build upon that foundation in this episode. Before we jump in, I wanted to remind you that we still have a handful of spots left if you'd like to register for our five-week discipleship program and join us here in Colorado this August 13th through September 17th. And it's just an amazing time to come away from the distractions of daily life, sit at Jesus' feet, connect with other like-minded believers from around the world. So if you're thinking about joining us this year, don't wait too long because there aren't very many spots left. You can also register for next year's programs if you go to ellerslie.com or you click the link in this podcast description. I also wanted to let you know that we have an online mentoring program that you can learn about at setapartgirl.com. There's also a link for that in this podcast description, and it's a great way to take Take the truths that you're hearing in these podcasts a lot deeper. We have over 175 teaching videos where I'm going deep into issues that we face on a daily basis as women in our culture, and there are loads of other resources there. So in lieu of me sitting across the table from you in a coffee shop and mentoring you, I would love to be able to invest truth into your life through this program. So again, just go to setapartgirl.com or click the link in this podcast description if you want to learn more about that program. Let's jump into part two of cultivating incorruptible beauty. And just as a recap of our last episode, we talked about that verse in First Peter, which talks about the incorruptible beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit. And I used to misunderstand that verse, as a lot of women do, and think that it means you have to be this quiet, timid, mousy woman who never talks to have a quiet spirit. But what that verse actually means is to quiet the voice of self, to get self out of the way, and so that Jesus' light and love and beauty can come shining through our lives. Incorruptible beauty is very different than the inner beauty message that we're often hearing today. The inner beauty message is all about showcasing self while incorruptible beauty is not even a beauty we can showcase in and of ourselves. It's the beauty of heaven. It's an immortal type of beauty. And it only happens when we decrease that Jesus might increase in our lives. And the reason that inner beauty is such a popular message today is because our culture is constantly putting unrealistic standards on women to look beautiful on the outside and even achieve a totally unrealistic standard for beauty. As I've talked to different people who have worked in the clothing industry, they take a woman's image, scan her photo into a computer and digitally alter everything about her and then slap that on a clothing ad or a magazine cover and say, hey, this is what makes a woman beautiful. Well, it's no wonder wonder so many of us are wallowing in insecurity. And a lot of times the self-esteem message seems to be the right answer, that inner beauty, just appreciate, you know, your yourself for who you are and esteem self and love self. But Jesus' message is very different. It's not about esteeming self, it's about denying self. Now that doesn't mean we devalue who we are or who he's made us to be because he puts great value on our lives. But it does mean to silence the voice of our flesh, of our selfish nature, and get that voice out of the way so that his light can come shining through our lives. And that is when we discover freedom from insecurity, because no longer are we concerned about people noticing and appreciating us. Our goal is to point all eyes to Jesus Christ through our lives. So last week, we talked about practical ways to begin cultivating incorruptible beauty in our daily lives. We talked about the importance of agreeing with God, 
rather than taking our cues from our emotions, our experience, or what the world may tell us about who we are as women. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about another practical way to cultivate incorruptible beauty in our lives, and that's to become a friend of the bridegroom. We talked last episode about that beautiful principle illustrated in the life of John the Baptist, where he said, I must decrease so that he, meaning Jesus, would increase. And I'm going to build upon that principle in this idea of becoming a friend of the bridegroom, because that's what John the Baptist called himself. He wanted to get out of the way and point everyone's attention to Jesus. And he said, when the bridegroom is seen, my joy is complete. There was no greater fulfillment to John than knowing that those people that he was proclaiming Jesus Christ to were seeing the bridegroom. That fulfilled him at the deepest level. Now, we oftentimes misunderstand what it means to be a good friend. John the Baptist was a friend of the bridegroom meaning he was pointing others to the bridegroom. Our idea in this culture of what it means to be a good friend is very different than that, or even the right way to approach a romantic relationship. We think that the healthy type of friendship or relationship means we need to be available to this person 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We need to be the one that they always pour out their heart to, the one they turn to with every struggle that they face, and be the one that they lean upon for all their support. Now, that sounds like a great concept, but it's actually not incorruptible beauty. It's drawing attention to self, causing a dependency upon us rather than pointing others to Jesus Christ. And that is not what it means to be a friend of the bridegroom. Amy Carmichael said it very well. If I slip into the place that can be filled by Christ alone, making myself the first necessity to a soul, instead of leading it to fasten upon him, then I know nothing of Calvary love. So instead of making ourselves the first turn, whether that's in a marriage, a romantic relationship, or in a friendship, we want to fasten that soul to Jesus Christ. And that is what a friend of the bridegroom does. Now, there is great value in caring deeply for our friends and our loved ones and showing support to them in any way that we can. It's part of what God has called us to. And in a marriage or a romantic relationship, there definitely needs to be a trusting closeness and a sharing of deeper things. But we need to be so careful that we are not becoming the other person's first turn, the one they lean on even above Christ. In my relationship with Eric, as our friendship was unfolding, one of the things that I noticed that was very different about my friendship with him was that he led me closer to Christ. And it wasn't even always a conscious effort on his part to do that. He was just so focused on Christ, so passionate about Christ, so captivated by Christ that he just he was just, his passion for Christ was contagious. It just naturally came out in everything that he said and did. And after spending time around him, I realized I wasn't just sitting around daydreaming about Eric Ludi after we had been spent after we had spent some time together. I was usually in my room with my Bible and my journal, wanting to deepen my relationship with Christ. And that is really the hallmark of when you're a friend of the bridegroom. It sparks this passion in the other person to draw closer and closer to Christ. So we are trained as women in our culture to become another person's first turn and to create a human emotional dependence upon ourselves. 
When we do that, we're not really being a friend of the bridegroom, but actually trying to take the bridegroom's place, trying to take Christ's place in another person's life. I remember a number of years ago, this happened to me in a friendship with another woman in Christian leadership. We had a great connection. We had a lot of things in common and love to talk about spiritual things. But as our friendship progressed, I began to recognize that she was always looking to me as the only one that she could turn to in a struggle or a difficult situation. And pretty soon she was just having one crisis after the next. And she would text me at all hours. She would call me in the middle of the night. She would say, you're the only one that I have to turn to. You're the only one I trust. And I began to realize my relationship with Christ was slipping to the back burner. My relationship with my family was suffering because I felt this pressure to be the one who would meet all of her needs. And I began to take a deeper look at scripture and recognize this principle of being a friend of the bridegroom. It sometimes looks a little different than the way we think is a spiritual way to be someone's friend. The way that godly friendships are meant to be is not an emotional dependence on us, but a dependence on Jesus Christ. And if someone's in a struggle or a difficult situation, that we would be a catalyst to lead them to fasten to Christ. The support and encouragement that we give to our friends, to our spouse, to our loved ones should only be an enhancement to their relationship with Christ and not a replacement for it. One of the best stories I've heard about this is from the life of Oswald Chambers. When he was traveling and speaking, he would often really encounter people who had lots of needs and needed someone to talk to. And he was a great listener. He really cared about people. But this one day, a woman came up to him and said, Mr. Chambers, I need to tell you all about myself. And Oswald Chambers was a man of great wisdom. He asked this woman if she had ever told God all about herself. And she thought about it and said, no, I haven't. And he said, I want you to go home and tell God all about yourself. Pour out your heart to him. He is a listening ear. He wants you to share everything with him. And I will be here next week if you still have questions you want to ask me. What an unusual response. Most of us would think, oh, you know, I just need to be there and be that person's catch-all for every emotional struggle that they've ever gone through. And here's Oswald Chambers saying, I want you to first pour out your heart to him. And then if I can be an added encouragement to you after he becomes your first turn, that's how I can be a friend of the bridegroom in your life. And when a woman is willing to take that place of friend of the bridegroom, point others to Jesus at all times, incorruptible beauty, that heavenly beauty becomes so evident in her life. The Bible says that we are meant to cast all of our cares on Christ because he cares for us. That's in 1 Peter 5, 7. When we encourage our friends or our spouse or our loved ones to cast their cares upon us instead, we rob them of the amazing opportunity to take their needs to the God of all comfort. If we try to make another person emotionally dependent on us rather than fastening them to Christ, we're going to become a barrier to their intimacy with him. Now, it may seem unfeeling to encourage someone to pour out their heart to God instead of to us, and yet that's exactly what the Bible asks us to do. In Psalm 62, 8, it says, trust him at all times, pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. We need to remember as women that the highest good another person can ever find is not something that we can offer them. It is only found in Jesus, and our joy needs to be like John the Baptist when we point them to Jesus. 
Jesus. The reason we should find such great joy in that is because we know they're going to truly have all of their deepest needs met in him, first and foremost. The God of all comfort is waiting to meet their every need. So let's not stand in his way by letting others cling to us instead of to him. This doesn't mean we can't show kindness and empathy and support and love and being be a listening ear and a wise counselor. We just need to make sure we're not replacing Christ in another person's life and that our goal is always to turn their gaze back to him. Let's never try to take first place in another person's heart, whether that be in a romantic relationship, in a marriage, or in a friendship. Let's make sure that position of first place is reserved for Christ alone, both in our own lives and in the lives of those that we're close to. As it says in Colossians 1.18, that in all things he may have the preeminence, which means the first place. If you are the type of woman who find yourself in this situation where you're always a counselor or a listening ear, I would encourage you to ask whether you are truly leading others to take their cares to Jesus' feet. It's not wrong to be a counselor or a listening ear, but make sure that you are leading them to first and foremost cast their cares to, at Jesus' feet. And when people come to you, remember, it's not your job to have all the answers, but to point them back to the one who does, Jesus. So I would encourage you to ask if they've really searched the word of God for specific answers to their situation, if they've wrestled in prayer and cried out to God for their needs to be met. And in many cases, you'll find that other people will have skipped over those steps because they believe that their answers could only be found in human wisdom and human comfort. Sometimes I find myself in these situations where I'll ask those questions and they'll say, no, I don't even know how to go to the word of God. I don't even know how to wrestle in prayer. And so that's a great opportunity to search the word of God along with them to show them there are answers to every struggle that we could ever face in the word of God or to wrestle in prayer alongside of them and to set that example of going after the fullness of everything God wants us wants to be in our lives. No matter how complicated a person's issues may be, it's really important to realize that the root problem is always the same, and that is sin and separation from God. And the ultimate solution is always the same, Jesus Christ. That may seem overly simplistic, but it was really helpful to me during the years when I was constantly touring in different churches and different women would come up to me with struggles and concerns and problems. And a lot of times I felt intimidated because I had never been through what they were talking talking to me about. But then I began to realize that sin is still sin. And the solution, Jesus Christ, is the same for everyone. And that was a great comfort to me to recognize I didn't have to be the one with all the answers as long as I pointed them to Jesus, because he's the one who has the answers that they need. Jesus is the truest, most faithful, most trustworthy friend that we could ever have or that anyone else could ever have. And human comfort and human wisdom will always fall short of what he can give. It says in Psalm 60, 11, Oh, please help us against our enemies for all human help is useless. In light of God's help and comfort and faithfulness, human help is useless. There is no problem he cannot solve. There is no need that he cannot meet. So I pray that we would become a friend of the bridegroom and begin to showcase that heavenly beauty that points others to Jesus Christ. There is tremendous freedom in not focusing on what others think of us, but only on what they think of him. 
And this idea of being a friend of the bridegroom, of pointing eyes to Jesus, should transcend into areas like social media and just our day-to-day relationships with people that maybe we're not even that close to, but just that we interact with on a daily basis. Our goal should be to reflect Christ and his nature. This doesn't mean that every social media post or every conversation with the mailman needs to be specifically about Jesus, but it should always reflect his nature. It should always be in an attitude of Christ-like love and taking advantage of any opportunity that we have to showcase him and point others' gaze to him. May we, like John the Baptist, live those lives to declare, I must decrease, but he must increase. I've studied the lives of a lot of women throughout Christian history. One of the most bold and courageous women that I've studied is Catherine Booth. She was the co-founder of the Salvation Army. She raised eight children to be soldiers of the cross. And one of her daughters in her teen years was struggling with an emotional issue. And she wrote this to her. Do not give way to lowness while you are young. Rise up on the strength of God and resolve to conquer. Now, this is not exactly the poor you, I feel so bad for you message that we're used to giving and that we're used to hearing. That's the more spiritual sounding answer that a lot of us are looking for. And yet she was pointing her daughter back to that bolstering truth of the word of God. We are called to build up others in the strength of God, not offer that kind of sympathy that weakens a soul and promotes self-pity. This is what Amy Carmichael wrote about the right kind of comfort we are meant to give others. Many think of comfort as if it were a gentle kind of soothing and nothing else. But the Oxford Dictionary gives the original meaning as to strengthen. Isn't that interesting? So to comfort actually means to strengthen. And then she goes on to say, I have heard one who was, as she thought, comforting another say how hard it is for you. But that sort of talk does not raise up. It pushes down. It is weakening, not strengthening. God's comfort is never weakening. He leaves the soul he comforts stronger to fight, braver to suffer, grateful, not sorry for itself, keen to go on and not to yield. God make us all comforters in the strong sense of the word, his fellow comforters. And I love that idea of being a fellow comforter that constantly points them back to the God of all comfort rather than that self-pity idea. Oh, I feel so bad for you. I'm so sorry for you. That's really not the kind of comfort God calls us to give. Corey Timboom wrote this, self-pity is a nasty sin and the devil uses it and always starts his talks with poor Corey. Isn't that so true? Those of us who have fallen prey to self-pity and and all of us have at one point or another, always hear that voice. It's like, oh, poor me. I can't believe I have to go through this. And if we cultivate that self-pity attitude in another person's life in trying to be a good friend to them or a good marriage partner to them, we can often become a tool in the enemy's hands to promote self-pity in their lives. Peter did this when he came to Jesus and tried to rebuke him when he was talking about what he needed to suffer. This is in Matthew 16, 21. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord, that shall never happen to you. Now, some of the earlier translations of those words he said were things like, pity thyself, be kind to yourself, Lord. 
Now, wasn't that a loving, caring response? I've always been a little surprised at the way Jesus responded to Peter because he seemed like he was being a good friend, but human sympathy and self-pity was not what Jesus needed. In fact, he saw it as a temptation from Satan to turn to self-pity and self-protection instead of obedience to God. And so Jesus' response to Peter was very strong. He said, he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Wow, that's so incredible to realize that human comfort and human sympathy was actually siding with the enemy instead of obedience to God. Let's not stand in the way of our friends or our spouse or our other loved ones receiving the supernatural enabling power of God to become more than a conqueror in their struggles. God will give you wisdom on how to point others to Jesus when they come to you with issues and problems and struggles and needs. I do want to make a small caveat here, as I've said in other episodes, if someone comes to you in a situation of abuse where personal safety is being threatened, you're going to need to do more than just say, well, go sit at Jesus' feet and pour out your cares to him. You will need to get practically involved to help that person get out of a situation that is threatening their safety. But you can still point them to Jesus as you do so. And in all of the other situations where personal safety isn't being threatened, but they're coming to you with a struggle, it is always safe to point them back to the one who truly has the answers that they need. That old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, says it so beautifully. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And the rest of the song is just as beautiful and profound. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. So again, let this be our goal to constantly be saying those words or living those words out with our lives, to be a friend of the bridegroom that points others towards that kind of relationship with Jesus Christ. Because a woman who shines with incorruptible beauty says, when the bridegroom is seen, my joy is complete. We'll go into part three of cultivating incorruptible beauty next episode and look at even more practical ways to cultivate this quality in our lives. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper, please visit us at setapartgirl.com and see the many resources that we have for you there on living a set apart life for Christ. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.